Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Oi, the boys on Footy Prime on occasion are known to use vulgarities and frankly appalling language. And sometimes tales are quite adult in nature. So keep the volume down if there are kiddies around. And thank you for listening. Oh, Listening to Footy Prime News and Such, your one-stop destination for footy news and such. Footy Prime, your almost daily footy fix. Hey Jimmy, what's in the green gruel you're drinking? A bit of this and a bit of that. Is it working for you? <laughs> Not one bit. Got it, boy. Maybe Atta a placebo. <laughs> I mean, I'm taking. That's a matching it. shirt, though. I know. Goes with my eyes, Amy. Green, just all green. It's very uh, Hulkunian. Downhill from here, I guess. You bet. It's funny, Prime, it's news and such, and that's Amy Walsh, backed by popular demand. Hey, Amy. Hey, Sharms, how are you? Doing good, doing good. You heard Jimmy there and JC's here and Craig's here, although he's just frozen, as he usually does. And uh, and Wang Wong is here too. What's happening, lads and lasses? All good? We're all good. Looks like it. Craig's internet is lagging, and as you said, his internet... Craig is uh, mm-hmm. Craig's looking mighty white again. Mm. I don't think he's seen the sun in about three weeks. No, he's oh, back no, on again. <laughs> he's yeah. heading to Palm Springs uh, next week, though, isn't he? Yes, yes, to golf. It's a much needed vitamin D for Craigy boy there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like a bit of a newsy kind of day today, doesn't it? Like we're recording this, and all these these news stories are about to break, but haven't quite broken. So let's just speculate, shall we? Sean Dyche is going to become Everton's manager at some point today. Uh, Sean Johnson is going to become Toronto FC's uh, latest number one goalkeeper at some point. Uh, and and uh, Casado at Brighton might hand in a transfer request at some point and force a move to Arsenal or Chelsea. Lots happening right now, everyone. Um, let's start with the goalkeeping situation. And I want to ask you ex-players here a little bit here, all right? So you hear all of these terms about goalkeepers, the, these cliched expressions, uh, 
He's a good shot stopper. Great ability to organize the defense. Commanding in the area. Great distribution. Like, what's the most important? If you had to, like, rank those, what's the most important part? And is there one you can do without? Just save the ball. Keep the ball a fucking net. That's it. <laughs> Good job. Gives a so shit how you do it. Most do important it. part. So yeah. shot stopper is the most important part. If you're ranking those, like shot stopper number one, because if, if you're a crap shot stopper, it doesn't really matter about your distribution, does it? No, I think that has to be your number one, but it's also as a player on the field, it's your, it's your presence. And I know that sounds kind of woo-woo, but that's part of the, the aura of the goalkeeper that allows you, I think, to be that great shot stopper is not necessarily the, the mind games and that sort of stuff, but it's, it's the way that you fill that net. I think is is a big part of that. So to me, that's right there with with shot stopper. But the way that the game's evolving, you you have to be good at distributing the ball. You have to be able to kind of quarterback the attack from your own net. Yeah, you really do. I mean, it's such a different game now as well. I mean, there's more touches by goalkeepers at the back now than ever before by quite a long margin. Um, but that, yeah, you're right, Amy. I mean, and the confidence as well that your defense and your manager and everybody has about you, your consistency, your, you know, you make mistakes very rarely. All these things come into play, obviously. And last year was treat for TSC. I mean, they seem to have all the pieces and then uh, the goalkeeper situation let them down. Didn't see that really coming, building up near the end of the season. So that was disappointing. So they've got a good one coming in, but it looks to things and that's what they need. And yeah, he is very commanding and good at distribution and not a bad shot stopper. <laughs> yeah, well, he ended. He was, a, he was a big reason why CF Montreal bowed out of the playoffs when they did. He was massive for them in that game. That's right. When you talk about presence zone aura, I mean, isn't that just how loud you can shout, basically? No. <laughs> no. No? So there was more to it than that? There's an intangible presence? It looks good, though. Yeah, because everybody knows your opponents included if it's just theatrics, right? If it's just for the cameras, mm. if it's just for the look, just for the fans, you mm. have to be able to back it up. Yeah. And a lot of goalkeepers do that, don't they? Because where they're positioned on the pitch, they can see themselves on that big jumbotron as well. And then when they come on and then all of a sudden they start pointing, waving their hands. <laughs> Is, is that what you're trying to say, Jimmy? Were you happy, Craig? Oh, yeah. the the Sometimes no goalkeepers just talk shite for the sake of talking. <laughs> that, that's true. I'm telling you. The amount of cr- times I've looked over my shoulder and been like, what are you talking about right now? <laughs> that's hey, not Jimmy, the can point, you rank, Jimmy. Can you rank Craig's? Keep Craig's, you engaged. Um, can you rank Craig's qualities in order of those those four things? Shot stopper, organization, commanding presence, oh, he was, distribution. He was a great shot stopper. Incredible. I Where think, was his uh, um, commanding in the box? Where the list ends, t- apparently. <laughs> commanding, com- commanding in the box because he was so tall. Did you say cock blocker or shot stopper? No, sometimes he was a cock blocker. <laughs> yes, he was. <laughs> no, I was always a good wingman. Yeah. What were you saying? Well, it was very vocal as well. It was very vocal because sometimes you could actually hear him in the game going, "Yes, come on, ten minutes, lads, ten minutes." And then we're in the pub in an hour. <laughs> Let's get this win. Yeah, you, you could hear me because there's nobody in the stands. Yeah. I mean, as a goalkeeper, Craig, are you like someone that, I mean, I get the impression that a goalkeeper, the minute that opening whistle blows, like you want that game to end as quickly as possible. <laughs> is that fair to say? Well, it is different than out players or, you know, you think of a striker and he's 
had a decent game, but he hasn't nicked a goal. He wants, you know, he's looking at the clock. Yeah, I got 10 minutes, maybe get one. Well, no, goalkeepers are looking at the clock going, run that down, run that down. You're not, you know, thinking, no, I'm having so much fun here at nil-nil that I want this to go for another mm-hmm. half an hour. <laughs> no. no. You're taking nil-nil happily, right? That's, that's happily. fine by you. Happily. What yeah. about, Craig, the, uh, you know, the old catch, the really easy save, and then the sprawl on the ball? Were you all about that? Did you do that? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Dress yeah. it up? You mean, you mean actually dress them up? <laughs> Is that I what dress, it's called? I dress show, shots up all the time. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. In Puma. <laughs> yeah, in Puma gear. Yeah. I was never sponsored by Puma as a player. <laughs> How's your post-playing career? The Pumas come in post-playing? Yeah, it's it's kind of a, you know, casual stuff. I'm, I'm all about casual. Really? I thought that's some nice story about, you know, little young Craig Forrest got his first pair of Pumas, you know, when he was like 11 years old and thought, these are the ones for me. And you, you got approached by Nike and Adidas, you know, yeah, for a million dollar around. deals. You know, no, I'm sticking with the, 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 the gear that got me to where I'm at. Yeah. Puma Kings were a very good boot. Puma okay, wait, wait a minute. And Carrie would kill me if I didn't bring this up. I brought it up on Twitter before. Puma or Puma? That's a Discuss. really great question. I know. Puma. I'm, Puma. I'm a Puma, like a Yuma. Is that very, is that a Brit thing? That inflection thing. or that emphasis? Is it? Or should I say emphasis? Because I think it's wrong. <laughs> Actually, it's a solid well, it's S. So the en- emphasis. It also depends on where in England you're from, because where Jimmy and me played in the, in East Anglia, it would be Puma. They would just pronounce that Puma, but like O O double O. Are you right, boy? Right, yeah. You talk like that. No, you're Puma, right? Like that. Yeah. No, Canada. well, the, the Northern Puma. Irish would. Huh? Northern Irish would, right? Yeah, they do as well. Pumer. Pumer. Love my Pumers. <laughs> no, it doesn't sound right either. I don't know. That's more Dublin. <laughs> my first pair of boots were a Puma Dalgleish, King Dalgleish boot. Oh, I can still yeah. smell them now. Isn't that weird? The yeah, first pair of boots weird. you get. I was Wash your hands. Was. I was young. And just the, the clickety-clackety on the, on the tarmac. Oh, God damn it. That brings back memories, doesn't it? What's the earliest memory you have of like football, like as a player, as a kid, Amy? Do you have one that you sticks out to you? Um, probably be called a boy when I when I was young, because I like oh, fit no. in seamlessly, which was good. Well, that's okay. I didn't I didn't mind. I was a little bit indignant about it, but it allowed me to kind of fly under the radar. So I can really fun. see it though, Amy. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if, if you give me the the Paul Wall share. Thank you, Wonger. So sweet. How old were you then? Compliments. But how young it were you? It would have been maybe like seven or eight. And you were playing with the boys. But I mean, not necessarily because I was I was really good. I mean, I was I was a, always a decent little athlete, but it was just because there weren't a lot enough players really to, to split us up at that point. Did you but find it was, that? It did was you find pretty, that helped you, Amy, in your development? I mean, obviously, getting well when you were developing, getting like you say, best against best for women, a little yeah. bit more difficult, right? So. Obviously, the pace and the physicality and everything must have put you in pretty good stead. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, the the development in terms of, of technical abilities, I mean, wasn't really promoted so much as just getting, you know, throwing the ball out there and having everybody play and make sure you had the same amount on either side. That was basically it. And then my favorite thing to do at that age was I was a striker or as close as you could get to being a striker, I guess, at, at U8 because um, I love to score goals and I was pacey, so I could. And it was pre the shin guard rules being mandatory. 
So I wore knee pads and long socks pulled up, but no shin guards. And then the second half, I'd go in net. <laughs> no yeah, and I, and I loved it. I was commanding. Oh, good shot yeah. stopper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, did, I did like them. You know, like I had a, like a little walk. No, I didn't. <laughs> but I was actually pretty good. I was decent on PKs. Dubs really? the boy. I can see it now. My, my dad used to call me a girl, so I, I can understand that. It's a different story entirely. Um, Jimmy, your earliest memories. <laughs> just charms as a girl. Um, mine was probably the first time I ever went net. And I let in probably, I think it was seven goals in about 12 minutes. Better than How I did. How old would you have been? I must have been maybe nine, eight or nine. Not and a good I never, I never went back in net again. No. Like I was diving over the ball and I didn't know what to do. That's I your first it. memory of football was that? That's really sad. Sounds yeah, like, it was yeah, like me I and Manny. I first time I a pitch. <laughs> And I had my first game and I was in a yellow uniform, but probably the most thing that like annoyed me. And I never understood this whole goalkeeping thing and why <laughs> somebody wanted to be a goalkeeper after that moment. And it stuck in my head and I never went back in net again. Yeah, so you didn't seek to understand thing. it. You just avoided it. I avoided it. I said, this is Might brutal. explain it's a lot stupid. about your personality. Yeah. Explains everything. Yeah. <laughs> if I don't like deep it, here. I leave it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you run away from challenge. No, I try the challenge, and if I don't like it, I don't do it. <laughs> it's not a challenge, is it? Yeah. But I think there's something to that, though. Like my my husband played for nine years in like the lower levels of of pro hockey, like in East Coast Hockey League, and our kids are quite similar to us both because I remember earliest memories. If I wasn't good at something, I didn't necessarily want to pursue it and try to refine it and try to understand it and and really try to get better and have the patience to do it. I wanted to be good at it immediately. And oftentimes I was lucky enough. I was a good enough athlete. I was, but you know, it, it's tough lessons to try to impart or lessons that maybe you're, you're putting to the side and you're not really learning. Right. Cause you just skip yeah. out on it. But I, I think it was, you know, it was different though too, Amy, because I, I was looking at it and going, I don't understand the logic of, of standing there when someone is rifling a shot 80 miles an hour at you, and you're trying yeah. to save this ball. I'd rather be the one that's just smashing it. Yeah. And then saving it and get up and be like, yes. Your nose is like that. <laughs> Fat lip. Yeah. I was like, that was a great save. Maybe, maybe, Craig, maybe Craig could explain the reason why you'd like to play and want to play goal. Craig? Yeah, well, I'm actually wondering the same thing, to be honest with you. <laughs> I remember John Lyle, my famous, obviously, legendary West Ham manager, was at Ipswich and he asked me standing there with Phil Parks, another West Ham legend, but he was my goalkeeper coach. He's like, uh, have you broke your nose before? And I said, no. I and he goes, you're a goalkeeper. You never broke your nose. And I go, yeah. He goes, look at Phil. Phil <laughs> Phil's nose is all over the place. Phil goes, I never broke my nose either. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Did you benefit Craig from from goalkeeping coaches? Like, did they really help? I mean, I always kind of wonder about this. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, they did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Would they Malcolm, study your I had, a, I had a goalkeeper coach that played lower divisions, like fourth division, his whole career, Malcolm Webster. And at that time, 
these goalkeeper coaches usually work for several clubs. There was never a there wasn't a full time goalkeeper coach at most clubs. So this guy would work at Cambridge and Peterborough, and I think he even went up to Norwich, uh, Ipswich. Um, he was fantastic. He was absolutely the best I've ever had. Um, the better ones, like the better players that were goalkeeper coaches, goalkeepers that made it to the top end, Phil Parks, guys like that, uh, Ludic McClosco, <clears throat> Les Seeley. Those guys just knew it as a maintenance side of things, like how to maintain you, how to keep you your spirits high, how to keep you really focused. And Les Seeley was probably the best at that, keeping you really in the moment and focused on what you're doing. Um, but Malcolm Webster, unknown guy, except for a few people, actually a lot of goalkeepers around that time will know him. Um, but he was he was he was great just as far as technical stuff and angles of which way you're diving. And I remember we we're doing this one session, it's kind of boring, guys, but he was blasting it and he could actually ping it like he had great service. So he could hit the top corner every single time. And he figured I should be saving them. And I didn't think that was the case. But he changed my style slightly and then anyway, started saving them just be, because of the angle I was diving. So yeah, they are important. It's one for interesting story. It was actually, and I found it interesting. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, I, I hopefully, you. hopefully, we didn't lose any listeners during that. <laughs> no, they're, they're both still here. Um, <laughs> let's go around the horn, though. I want, this is interesting. Like, what is okay? Start with you, Craig. Like, what was your biggest weakness as, as a footballer? The one area that you, you had to work on, or, or you never quite got to the, the level that you expected to get to. What was your biggest weakness taking as a footballer, not a human being? Taking goal kicks. <laughs> Ooh, really? Yeah, that was the last thing. I mean, when I was signed at 16, um, <clears throat> had several weaknesses, but they were going to sign you on potential. That's why I was advised to go over there earlier as as opposed to a couple years later when he needed to be the finished product. I had a hell of a time on dead balls when I was younger, when I was really young. I just could not figure it out. I would try and try and try. I just could. I mean, I could hit one to strike it and pass it around and use my feet fairly well around 30, 40 yards, but I needed to get one 50, 60, 70 yards and that took a long time. And I talked to a lot of goalkeepers that are exactly the same. Um, Ray Clements, for instance, he was one legendary Liverpool goalkeeper in England. He was uh, the same way, uh, ball striking. But once that, once the penny dropped, it was I could I could at least get it fifty yards. <laughs> That's what you wish you played nowadays, right? You just pass the ball ten yards. Well, so, yeah, I wish I had Emerson's did. distance. That that range <laughs> that Emerson has at Man City is just. Different, yeah. different class. All right, Amy, what was your weakness as a footballer? Probably finishing. Where like I'd play lower level clubs and be able to score bags of goals, playing different role, maybe a more advanced position in the midfield. But with the national team, like my bread and butter and what allowed me to have a spot there was because I was blue collar. I was going to win the tackles. I was going to go into tackles that no one else wanted to go in, um, be physical when the aerial battles and find the outlet pass, nothing fancy, right? Insulate the back line. Um, but then when I did get those opportunities, um, I wish I'd been able to, to finish them a bit more because when I played club, and obviously it's a different level, but I would be on the dead balls and I would you know, have a couple goals a game and things like that. So it wasn't really the confidence to be able to do it, but I just never seemed to be able to put it together um, internationally. Was it like a panic kind of was setting or, or what happens when that ball was at your foot and you got an opportunity? Um, maybe, maybe a little bit. I mean, not panicked. 
Um, but maybe just the confidence to do it there. And, you know, you, you stroke that ball once um, and, and you see it and you get that feel of it hits the back of the net and you're able to replicate that, um, not just in training, but to do it in games. Like I played 102 times. I only scored five times. And I think most of them were probably on headers. <laughs> so I, there's something to that, like to, to see it happening, but in, in the flow of the game. And so I, I think I felt that it wasn't necessarily my role. So when I found myself in those pockets or in those positions, I didn't really have the, the confidence to do it. It was less the wherewithal to do it and more so maybe didn't have the confidence to really fully take it. Toughest and job in the it. business. Toughest job in the business. That's why they, yeah. they get their weight in gold or more. The strikers. Yeah. And I remember talking, talking to Sinky about it, trying to understand. She's like, well, I just put the ball where the keeper isn't. <laughs> well, Easy. It's not yeah, that it's simple, so easy, Sink. You know, like I think, and I played with a girl at Nebraska named Kim Engeser. And she wasn't the fastest. She didn't have the best technique. She could turn players really well, but she could just score. Just mm-hmm. She got her the ball in the box, and she would find a way to score. She was extremely right-footed. Her left foot was okay. She could still score, but you just – I think strikers – I mean, you could compare it to different sports. I think especially in football, you just either you have it or you don't. And you can work at it, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. but to have that pure class to be able to score goals – I think I think you're really born with it. It's almost an innate thing. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I, I remember myself as well. I would get in positions in the box, and I was celebrating before I hit the ball. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're just missing it and skying it. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't get composed like that. We do. I mean, the, the top strikers that they visualize, right? They visualize themselves in, in situations during a match, you know, and goal scorers visualize themselves in that box. Right. Whereas obviously for midfielders, defenders, goalkeepers, obviously it's different. You visualize, if you are going through visualizing, visualization techniques, it's very different. Maybe you should have visualized scoring more goals and that would have changed everything. <laughs> what is your weakness, Jimmy? Apart from, uh, you know, the ego and celebrating before goals. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, point, and pointing to your own name. Yeah, yeah. That was exactly. a mistake. I did that once. He's, he's visualizing the, the, the celebrations, right? Beforehand. Yeah. Now, was there an uh, I would say I could have worked on my right foot more because I was so dominant left. Um, and everything that I did, I would always find positions to put myself in that I can control the ball first with my left foot or take guys on with my left foot. They would just drop to the right and go left. And, but my right foot, I could have worked on it a little bit more. Hey, Wonga, you, you, you played the other football. You like to hit people. That was your job. What was the biggest weakness in your game? Your pace, as you keep telling us over and over again. Um, um, honestly, else? it was consistency. I, the guys that always played CFL or had draft opportunities at NFL, you get to a certain level and, yeah, you're as fast and all that kind of stuff, but it's that they could be consistent over and over. I could always – I had some great plays that stood out, but it was always these – the guys who could tackle 15 times, you know, they're getting 15 tackles a, a game and they're intercepting the ball here every, you know, they're always consistently and they're also stronger and bigger. And uh, that was always an issue for me because I was kind of lazy off the field and I enjoyed, <laughs> I enjoyed raising, you know, while they're in the gym, I, li- I liked going to peel pub, smoking a cigarette. <laughs> peel pub. <laughs> peel pub. I was there last weekend, by the way. Yeah. Oh, were you? I was, yeah. Oh, amazing. I can't believe it's still and it, there. And, and it just dawned on me because I forgot most of the bars I went to for some reason. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, yeah, we went there. 
Well, yeah. I, my stories were always were always <laughs> like, "Hey, what are you doing Friday night? We got a big game against Western. You know, Western's a big CIS football club." And I'm like, "Well, I'm uh, we're going to practice, and then we're going to Peel Pub, and we're going to see what girls we could meet." And <laughs> yeah, but you got to play tomorrow. And you're like. Oh yeah, I got to be in bed by three. Like it's like that was closing the night off early. It was getting to bed before the bars closed. So yeah, I remember that in CJEP, we'd hit up Peel Pub, and then we'd be we'd have like an eight o'clock or nine o'clock game the next day, and everybody would be putting their hand in the huddle, but you'd all of the stamps from the bar from the night before, and you'd be like, oh my god, and you'd and you'd yeah. do the other hand in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, I found you know not being a, any kind of great athlete, but when you realize the separation has begun between you and the good athletes, the good players, any sport. I mean, there's obviously the athletic side of things, but to me, it was that sense of knowing where you should be on the field, on the pitch, and, and knowing the spaces you should operate in. And I was always terrible at that. But you get to a certain level, you see these guys, and the, the ball was always at them, at their feet, or in their hands in rugby. They always knew where to be. Whereas I'm like running around like a freaking madman, like burning myself out in the first half. And they're just saying, no, play, watch your lines, watch your line. And it's just, that's the, the ability to read a, a game, I think is really underestimated when talking about top athletes, elite level athletes, yeah. you know, international level pros, because that's a huge difference. You watch yeah. a great athlete playing in a, in a beer league, you know, you see these guys, these ex-pros playing in like, you know, just a pickup game, whatever, charity game. They're not running very much. Because they don't need to run. All those idiots are running around like madmen. And and it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. The the problem is too, Sharms, you're being hard on yourself because you, your dad did trade you a lot. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't understand my teammates. Yeah, you're right. That's a good point. Thanks, Jimmy. Plus, Jimmy, he, when he figured all this out, he was seven years old. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, whoa, I'm never going to be any good. Listen, this is, I'm, I'm being self-deprecating here. Okay, Jesus, you're going to pile on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's well, our job it, is to pile on. It allowed him to go into other professions early, yes. right? As opposed to like chasing what? the dream. Podcasting? And, and the poor dream just dying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look how you happy he is. So, you I could have been so a late bloomer, right? What's that, Amy? Do you think that that ability, like that sense and that understanding of a game and, and the spaces and where the, the, those pockets are, the soft spots no matter what sport you're playing, we're, we're losing a little bit. You're always going to find the, the really quality players who have that regardless of the sport, but the early specialization and the culture that we're in now with kids, how they're highly, highly technical, but they're maybe less attuned to, to the understanding of the game. And you're, you're losing out on the benefits of playing all kinds of different sports. And like, I think of my upbringing and I played basketball and soccer in CJEP. So grade 12 and, and 13. And um, I was a runner. I ran track. I played ringette. I did all kinds of stuff. And mm -hmm. I think we're losing that, that multi-sport approach that not only leads to less injuries as kids specialize later, um, but it also makes you a more well-rounded athlete and gives you a greater understanding of whatever game it is that you eventually choose. That's a really great point. And I think part of it is because of the cost of sports now. Like yeah. you know, my, my daughter plays my daughter plays ringette, right? And she does horses too. They're both very expensive. She can't. She'd have to play soccer or or maybe baseball at some point. But you can't do everything. You yeah. can't afford it. Simple mm -hmm. as that, right? One sport ain't cheap nowadays. No matter what you're playing, right? No, I've got three kids. One. It's price people out. It's crazy. Can't it's imagine. So mm -hmm. Yeah, but there's still, there's still nothing. There's still nothing wrong 
either as well, where kids go out into the street and play basketball. They go to the field and play soccer. They don't does do it, it as much as what they used to. Does it happen? You now? don't no, see it as not much. Not at all. Like I got a basketball net outside and it's very rarely used. Like they would rather go do other things or go play in the yeah. computer. Or it's not like when we were younger, it'd be like playing basketball. Then you're playing street hockey in the, in the afternoon and on a weekend, mm-hmm. you know, you want to kick the ball around playing soccer or you're playing flag football. Like we were always playing some sport. Always outside, right? Doing something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Kids today. Oh, Jesus. We've become have, We've got a three-on-three team right here. Let's go over to Jimmy's and let's play a little three, three pickup game. Yeah. I want, I want Craig on my team. <laughs> yeah, me too. They were yeah. <laughs> I played with Craig. He's pretty good. I bet he surprised is. me. Yeah. Yeah. I know what I'm good at, Wonger. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cock blocking. <laughs> no, JC, you run working? that. Run the ED clip now. Side effects may include erectile dysfunction. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was specifically for me. That was amazing, <laughs> by the way. That was so good. That was so. You know what? You should really release every opener separately, just as a promo. I'm That's do what we're times. doing. We're gonna do. We're gonna do a best of uh, JC's openings. We've already talked about it. We're just gonna line them all up. Yeah, that'll be a longer show than actually the best of show. Yeah, yeah, it could <laughs> right. be way way better material. It was. It was. Yeah, that was a short episode. <laughs> <laughs> it was two Jimmy stories. Yeah. Jeez, she just joined the show and she's bashing us already. <laughs> no, you're gonna learn, Amy, that, that deep it. down we're very very fragile. <laughs> it's all a mask. You know, we, we 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 disconnect from this podcast. And speaking for myself, I often weep. Yeah. <laughs> if you criticize his pies, he, he he goes into a dark hole. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, it used to be when I get criticized, you know, for my on-air ability, you know, by some some viewer. Now it's my pies. I just go <laughs> crawl into that dark hole. I never want to come out again. It's tough. Um. So pies, by the way. Sorry. Do you have any vegan pies? Um. The closest we have, we have a Moroccan veggie, which is vegan. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's the one. I'm afraid. How is it we, vegan, we, Charms? How sorry? is the crust? How is the crust different? It's not crusty. We, we use potato. That's like a more. It's more like a uh, shepherd's oh. pie, but it's a Moroccan. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. Um, the trouble is, right with with vegans. I mean, there's many things wrong with vegans. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I make yes. advice. We've got a lot Do of tell. We've got a lot of abuse from vegans. Um, but if you if you're a true vegan, right, you don't want to eat any food pr- produced in a plant that produces meat right unless you are the hardcore vegans for sure right because i mean we make meat pies there's meat everywhere you can imagine and then we'll make the vegan pie but it's still potentially contaminated by meat you can't avoid it are you cleaning the equipment though we is do, it? yeah of course you do <laughs> so then I, I don't mean on the regular i mean between the making the meat pie and making the vegan pie yeah, yeah, of course. You know, very, yeah, absolutely, so it's clean. For me, I, I think that's fine. And I you're think a rational you... vegan. There aren't many rational <laughs> yeah. vegans. Yeah, you're not hardcore. Yeah. No, well, what about Duncan Ferguson? Do you think uh, he might open his open his mind up to being a vegan? I, I don't know how he's going to get along being a... Did you guys see that clip? Where he's no. like, well, the, the world's warming up. Like that was kind of his take on, on he, the okay, vegan so, approach. So for, the, a... for those who haven't, haven't heard, so Duncan Ferguson, big dunk, as they call them in the football world, has joined uh, Forest Green Rovers, right? Is it Forest yep, Green Rovers? Yep. Forest Green Rovers. considered the most green, aside from the actual name of the team, the, the most green football team in the world, right? Um, Amy, yep. I don't know much more than that, so perhaps you can elaborate. 
<laughs> well, I don't know much more than it either, but I, it struck me as, as very, very funny that he's, I mean, storied career as a player, right? And then finally gets a club and he's going to be the gaffer. And, and then this is the awkward interview. Like, well, what do you think? Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're certified green and we're vegan and they, they're actually holding like a meatless burger, like one of those impossible burgers. Like, well, I'm going to tuck into that right after this. Like <laughs> he didn't really seem sold on it, but they only serve the team vegan food. That's right. Which, which is yeah. interesting. So I, th- I think that's great. Like, you know, you, you go to the club and maybe you have breakfast before training and you stay for lunch and eating vegan can be really healthy and a really good approach and a really varied and tasty approach. And then they go back mm. home and they can eat however they want. I think it's a kind of a, a cool idea, but, but maybe um, Craig and, and Jimmy, you can like, what would you guys think if you're at a club and all the food you could get? Like, I mean, anything, it was all plant-based. I'd be okay with that. Yeah. Big Duncan, he used to eat meat on the field. I tell you that much. That's, that's what I mean. <laughs> when you look at him, cause he was a lunatic. Fuck man. He used to leave elbows on everybody. That guy yeah. sharpen him up. He'd stare the oh, hell out of him all in the air. He was nuts. He was. But I don't know. I, I mean, I, I would try it, but I would definitely have to have some meat at nighttime. I'm, I'm that type of person that if I'm having a lunch or a, a dinner and I don't have a bit of meat with my lunch and dinner, I don't feel like my meal's complete. So I was talking okay. to a vegan this, this weekend, actually, and, and he was saying how he gets pissed off with his Beyond Meat products because he, he feels that all these, these people think, that, oh, you really want to eat meat, but you choose not to eat meat. Yeah. So therefore, here's your Beyond Meat. Maybe they're quite happy with vegetables. What's, what's your thought on that? Do you eat Beyond Meat products? Yeah, I think it's great. And also, I like to support, and to your point earlier, with like hardcore vegan, like you're not going to have the vegan product that a company is working hard to, to pump out to make it more accessible to people who choose to be vegan or maybe just want to include more plant-based things for, for their health. I, I like to support it. So like uh, A&W or one of these fast food chains that has these Beyond Meat burgers, I ask about where it's being made. Is it being put in the grill on top of meat? <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe not. Can they prepare it? Can they scrape the grill? But I like to support that because I think it makes it opens, you know, the minds maybe of, of a Jimmy who doesn't think that his meal is complete without without some meat. So I don't think it's about that, that, oh, you miss meat and you just really want to have something that tastes like meat. I don't think it's about that at all. I think it's sort of broadening your horizons and showing people that it can be tasty. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I was a little bit closed. door. I mean, one of the, the people that really was pushing it on me was Carl Lang. Yeah years ago and i would have these discussions with her about you know all these different things and sort of my views and anyway and in the end i would lose the argument because she was like <laughs> she knew this stuff inside and out and how to get your proteins how did not you know you know just stay away from meat was really quite easy to do uh, for her and incredibly healthy and i think with the products now you amy they're, they're coming out all the time new products mm-hmm. so the the choices are there but i also find that sometimes now with all the products coming out and with the pricing and the competition, you have to be careful about the quality. So like you, you really do have to know where they're prepared and what's actually in it. Right. Yeah. That too. And also to, to note that like, I, I love to have a beyond meat burger or impossible burger or those types of ones, but they're not healthy by any means. And mm-hmm. I'll go back to car in a second, but Karina was hilarious about this. Like I lived with Karina in Nebraska. We room together occasionally on the road with the national team and she is, I think, somebody who represents a large swath of the population who thinks just because it's vegan, it's healthy. So I'd make like a dessert. 
and it'd be like these squares and chocolate and like really rich and so lots of calories and she'd come over to my apartment and have like six of them I'd be like, Karina, it's vegan. It's not low calorie. And I think a lot of people have the same perception. And with Cara, just because she's so much younger than I am, I think she's nine years younger than I am. I have been vegan for a lot longer than she had. So sometimes I'd come into the the meal room or the conference room where the buffet went, everybody would have their, their stuff already. And Cara would already be tucking into some food. And we'd be in China and Europe or wherever we were. And you'd have to ask the questions because stuff wasn't immediately labeled vegan or vegetarian or not. Like it was just sort of there. So I'd have to ask the chef and what was in it and that sort of thing. So I take my plate and I'd go and sit down and I'd make eye contact with Cara. She'd be sitting at another table and have like a mouthful of like this pad thai that she thought was vegan. And I'd be looking at her and be like, (laughs) and she'd have a mouthful of it. And she'd be like, I'd be like, nope, not vegan. And so we had a joke where it would be like, okay, we're vegan starting now. So like you, you have that it kept being rebooted. You do you do the best that you can, but we'd go on trips to China and be like, okay, this trip, I hope that I am 95% vegan on this trip because you had to fuel yourself and you just, you couldn't just have, you know, pita bread or, or the, the dinner roll that, that came if you were lucky enough at wherever you were in China, you know, you had yeah. to, you had to eat kind of a complete meal. Yeah. But I mean, you are, you're a good advertisement for vegans because you you don't look too withered or anemic, which is good. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. So, wh- um, why did you become did you become vegan? Was it ethical reason? Was it health reason? What's what's the main reason? Yeah. Well, I mean, back to my point about playing all kinds of different sports growing up. I was I was a really good runner. I actually, when I was fifteen, I had a, I won like Canadian wide for U fifteen, the second in the fifteen hundred. I had the top. I fit. I got the gold medal in the eight hundred meter. So I was a good middle, really good middle distance runner. And so I was curious about how meat, how long it takes to digest. Cause like biology class in grade nine or 10, that was something that I read. So I started cutting stuff out as of then. And then it was only later on. So it was more health than performance based, even though I was only 15 or 16, it was a more of a curiosity about how my body would respond. And then it was, I got a knee injury in 2002 and I read about the dairy industry and I was like, well, it wasn't ethical up until this point, but I can't unknow this information. And then at that point, that it, it was it was about it was equal parts ethics, equal parts health. Was your family like that? Was your family vegan as well? Or because that must have been difficult if they weren't. No, and my mom was really supportive of it because I, I explained to her why I was doing it, and so she would. I mean, there wasn't a ton of money going around, and five kids, and so my mom would make the food. It wasn't like she was making two or three different meals, right? It was like, if you know, if you want to eat, this is what's available. So I would, I was forced to sort of be creative. And I started cooking because like, once I cut out seafood, my mom snapped. She's like, well, I don't know what to make you now. So I was forced to (laughs) to kind of make my own food, but it, you know, I I got to be a a decent enough cook. It's interesting. The older I get, the more and more aware I am of inflammation. That's the biggest thing, like internal inflammation and what triggers me. I know certain things just hammer me. And I generally feel better when I don't eat bread. But I fucking love bread, right? It's mm. difficult, but it's, it's an enormous switch for me. I, I have bread. I'm getting the most horrendous acid reflux, have my entire life. Mm. It wasn't until my wife when I met her, she goes, well, we'll stop eating bread. I'm like, it's stupid. I'm going to stop eating but, bread. But bread gets a bad rap. You know, like carbs as a whole, I think if you're eating as close to like unprocessed whole foods as possible, mm-hmm. you know, eat, eat bread, eat whole grains. 
Like, yeah. you know, if it's, if it's white and highly processed, probably not, but you can still any have bread though. I have any bread, any, well, you, know, you know, it's funny. Sourdough is fine, too. but any, any other bread, I am like within an hour or two, I am like, where the hell is the Pepsi AC? Cause I'm dying mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Sure. So I was, I was like stricken by, by, by acid reflux. And the biggest thing was the eating windows. So, I can eat you bread. Should eat windows. That's, that'll damage your mouth too. <laughs> <laughs> it was, I basically don't eat bread past six o'clock and everything's cool because right, I've right. got, I've got three or four or five hours to digest. We do our pod, but it's just like going on a session with Jimmy. You know, if I'm drinking, if I'm drinking Guinness, I can have two or three, but that 18th Guinness, that's when I start feeling bad. <laughs> I was doing well last week, but then I, I did eat two Big Macs and the walk home from the bar to the hotel at the three oh, in the morning. Two? Yes. Not just one, but ah. two? Two of them. It was, I had no regrets. Amy. I'm was, so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. They were so, so good. I want, I want you to dive into the decision to not just be like, I'm going to have a Big Mac. Like, I support that. Go for it. Why two? Because <laughs> I'm a greedy bastard when I'm drunk. <laughs> <laughs> it's that simple you know i come from a culture you know there's a culture where you know the pub closes off to the indian right yeah. you know yeah. it's just that, the that drinking the food yeah. yeah i know um sean deitch by the way i mentioned that before we've been talking about it for weeks where where should he end up so here's a question though so they were everton was talking to sean deitch and marcelo bielsa yeah. for that job right two completely contrasting managers does that not strike to you uh, a bit of a concern about the, the direction of that club at the top level, Craig? Because you got Daesh, who's, you know, meat and potatoes kind of guy. We, we think maybe he's more of, you know, we don't know, but he's a good manager. And you got Bielsa, apparently this, this cultured South American coach. Mm. It's not like there's Sam Allardyce or Sean Daesh. These are two such contrasting styles. I mean, doesn't that raise some flags to you? Mm, that's a really good point. Um, well, it's interesting. I mean, having talks to them, they definitely did because Bielsa flew over, I think, from Brazil. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the choice is right if they end up with, with Daisha, because it looks as though that's going to happen. Um, I think he's the right man for it, you know, short term and long term. He gets a bit of a bad rap as far as how he plays. He did an amazing job with Burnley, but he played the way he thought he needed to to keep that team in the Premier League. And he did it magnificently for years and years. So yeah. I have no doubt i think that he is the right man for everton and to to save them if anybody's got a chance he's he does was there any truth to the to the fact that bielsa gets flown over and then he wanted to only take over during the summer because he wanted to work with the academy and the youth teams so that they could sort of start to adapt to his methods did you guys read that yeah. yeah, I read something about that. Then, I mean, he was complaining about the first team as well, saying they weren't quick enough and they couldn't play this high-intensity football. <laughs> really endearing himself to them. Eh? Yeah, that was good. But I, I yeah. think with with I think with Daichi going in is the right the the right call for me, simply because he understands the Premier League. He knows how to win. And with that team right now, they they just have to be disciplined and shore up at the back because they they concede they concede too many goals. And they, they just got to be organized and disciplined, which they haven't been. And they'll survive. But I think if, if Bielsa came in and he wanted to play his beautiful attacking, pressing football, that takes way too long. You don't have the players to do that right now. Right now, it's all about survival for Everton. And Daichi, Daichi knows how to survive. And he, he survived on a limited budget. And I think if he does well and he goes into next season with a club like Everton has a bit of money to spend, I think he'll, he'll do very well because he'll probably bring in maybe Steve Stone and, and Ian won't again to help him out. 
Um, and they're good football-minded people. They get it. And Daichi said it before, too. He would love to play a certain brand of football, but you're limited to what you have and the spend that you have, right? And it's all about survival for Burnley. And right now with Everton's can be survival, but next year it could be a different story where he, maybe he could play that elaborate football that he wants to play. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I think it's a great move for him. It is that, that yeah. next step up. Burnley, listen, respect to Burnley. Um, you know, good club, great story there. But as much as it's been a, a bit of a gung show at Everton for a while now, he is that no-nonsense kind of guy you think they can get things sorted out. And if he can get in survival this year, that looks great yeah. on him. So we'll mm-hmm. see. Uh, Wonga, uh, you, you've written here mentions. You got, you've been delving deep into your sack. What's, what's happening? <laughs> no, I just, just, I just said mentions, mentions footybats.ca and FuboTV slash oh. Footy Prime. That's so it has nothing to do with, okay. No, I didn't have any Wonga's mail sack today. Oh. It wasn't brimming. It wasn't full. It wasn't oh, full. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't say wide, right, Wonger? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Puma. <laughs> Puma. All right, one more I want to get to then before we leave. Um, Pedri in Barcelona. He, he's going to play his 100th match for Barca this weekend. He's 20 years old. 20. I mean, he's going to be He's a star now, right? He's such a wonderful player. Um, it just got me thinking, what by the age of 20, had you accomplished and you were proud of? Was there anything? I mean, I personally, nothing. But uh, <laughs> you, guys, you guys have begun your careers, I'm sure. But uh, Jay, uh, Jimmy, anything that, that comes to mind? At 20? Yeah. I think I got, I got sold to Forrest at 20, didn't I? I don't know. Yeah. That's pretty good. I think How that's much for Back then, it was two million pounds. Was it really? That's that's what nineteen. What what year, year was that? Nineteen. That was nineteen ninety nine. Was it ninety nine? When I got bought, yeah. And so then when I went there, it was ninety three, ninety four. Okay, that's not bad. That's for a high water mark, then. You should have just tipped the waitresses and checked out at that point. That's your high water mark. <laughs> yeah. Mike drop. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty yeah, good. I, I think that was when, yeah, my first uh, first big thing that happened in my career. Obviously, making your debut when you're younger. Yeah, that's what you wanted to do. And then I had a few games under my belt, but that was a big one for me. A pro footballer. Yeah, that, that'll do it. Okay. Uh, Amy? I think for me, it was probably, well, getting called in to play for Canada in 96. So I would have been 18 then, playing for the U20 team and just wearing – like your own your national team jersey and playing for Canada and then we won CONCACAF in uh in 98 so that's pretty good that'll do it not two million pounds but I'll take it hey listen different, <laughs> yeah. Different, yeah, different world right but yeah had there been equal equal pay then equal rights then yeah. you'd be all right hey, yeah, that was just a transfer I'm not saying it's just your contract what was your contract yeah. back then at 20 do you remember oh I can't remember man but it was more than me. <laughs> yeah. I can't yeah, warehouse I work. Didn't pay that much. I've got, got my old contract somewhere. Yeah, I bet it's more than the $300 a month I got from Sport Canada. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, think about all the vegetables you could have bought, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. so many. <laughs> Craig, 20, you were playing professionally. Yeah, yeah. I made my debut for Ipswich by the time I was 20, and then Canada when I was 20 years of age. <laughs> Man, this is making me feel even more pathetic. Wonga, please help me out here. I know you can. Uh, actually, 
20 won the Vanier Cup, was on our <laughs> Vanier Cup winning team. Yes! Wronger! Uh, Wronger! Led the, led the OQ, OQIFC uh, in punt return uh, average. So that was pretty cool. And uh, I dated a few women at that point. So that, that was your high point then. That was my high point. It's been downhill. Yeah. He was surprised. Rap at this scent ever since. <laughs> 35 years later, I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just think about when you, when you were lifting that trophy, the Vanier Cup, you're thinking, man, what yeah. a huge world awaits me. Yeah. The sky's yeah. the limit. The sky's yeah. the limit. Now I'm podcasting with five other losers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, JC, had you had your first acting gig by then or a voiceover gig? Probably. I was uh, I was a, a scummy DJ. Ooh. Oh, yeah. yeah. Nice. Oh, yeah. Like, hey, coming up next is uh, Eric B. and Rakim. Candy. Whatever this song's called. If you want to hear your, your favorite songs, come on up to the DJ booth and we'll see what we can do. Put your hands together for I'm candy. Yeah, you, you sound like the guy that used Baby to work Jay at Whiskey and Go-Go. Baby Jay. <laughs> Jimmy, he probably still works at Whiskey and Go-Go. That guy, I'm sure. <laughs> That's not bad. So, you know, there's, there's five outliers, as they call them. Didn't Mike, Malcolm Gladwell call them outliers? Like, basically successful people. And, and then there's me. So thanks for that, guys. Well, there no, must be some charms. What happened? No, Come on, your highlight before you were twenty. Fucking nothing. Look at, look at that. Look at that widow's peak, though. That's something to be proud of. Yeah, that. You know what? You, you think so, Amy? But it's a pain in the ass when you get your hair cut. You know, hair grows in different directions and this stuff. But it's not receding, so I'll take that. But yeah, twenty. No, I've moved to Canada. Um, no, nothing. <laughs> really, <laughs> nothing. But or it was still like, a high point. No. Yeah, still a high point. No. Anyway. Um, that's probably the show. Yeah, that flew by today, huh? Oh my god, always. That really yeah. flew by. Uh, this weekend, by the way, uh, it is FA Cup fourth round action. Oh, footy, let's do some footy picks. Are you ready? Yes, sir. DJ Mellow D. It's footy picks. It's footy picks. It's footy picks. On footy picks. No one's prepared for footy picks ever. Footy picks. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Has anyone prepared anything for footy picks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, Craig, who you got? Read them out, Charms. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got Man City Arsenal, right? Today? Yep, yes. That's Today. later on Friday. Let's, let's use that as the go. Okay. Anyone? Yeah, but is this coming out after the? No, it'll be out before. Oh, okay. Still, so let's let's go short on this because most people might get this after the match. Was that a rookie mistake that I said the day? I, I yeah, should well. have done that, right? That's fine. Nah. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> We're not professionals here. Yeah. It's the fourth <laughs> round. So you've got Man City Arsenal today. Then tomorrow you got um as for the Premier League teams, Leeds are playing Achenton Stanley. Leicester's playing Warsaw. Uh what we got here? It's Fulham Sunderland. Um what else we got here? Southampton, Blackpool, Spurs, Preston, North End, United, Reading, Brighton, Liverpool. Jesus, mm-hmm. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, Brighton, uh, Liverpool. That's a, that's a good one. Rexham, yeah, Rexham, Rexham, Sheffield United. I think. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, uh, Sheffield United second in uh, league championship. I think. Mm-hmm. So, any, okay, so uh, okay, Craig, what do you got, Craig? Um, I find that Man City Arsenal game obviously very interesting because uh, what is Arteta going to do? Um, with a squad, um, I would be inclined to 
if I was him to put out a really good team. Mm. I think they're they haven't played enough. yet in, in the Prem, right? So this might set the tone, this game. Right. And there's, they're playing again next week, aren't they? I think they're playing twice more in the mm-hmm. league. But I think it's next week they play. Mm-hmm. Very, you know, even Pep said it. It's very strange that he's competing against Arteta. You know, the relationship between the two of them is fantastic. And, yeah. you know, there's nothing to dislike about them to those guys, I don't think. And and they certainly uh, respect each other highly. Yeah, Pep was yeah. saying that uh, he knew that Arteta always loved Arsenal because he would usually really celebrate goals at Man City. But whenever they scored against Arsenal, Arteta was more reserved, just kind of sat there. Mm. So he, he had, a, he had an inkling. Didn't point to his own name. <laughs> yeah, didn't go. <laughs> wasn't wearing his old Arsenal shirt under his suit. No, he wasn't doing that. <laughs> um, so, okay, so who you got in that game then, Craig? I know you're curious about the 11s, but uh, do you yeah. have a... I'm going to take uh, Arsenal. Ooh. Arsenal? All right. Yeah. Well, the, um, so right now on, on North Star Bets, City are at minus 134 favorites. Arsenal at plus 335. Is that City? So, wow, that's uh, pretty good for Arsenal. Just thinking it's about in, that. Yeah, now. you know what? That is actually really quite interesting. It's just a toss-up. Throw five bucks there, Charms, your, uh, you can buy one of your own pies. Yeah. <laughs> Who'd have thought we'd be saying that that game's a toss-up if we discussed this in August? True. Right? Yeah. Craig, you're also Ipswich Town is playing Burnley, and your other squad West Ham is playing Derby Derby County or Derby Derby Derby. County. Yeah, they both got a chance. I mean, Ipswich are having a really good season in League One. Uh, It'll be a sellout. Their attendances have been really, really good for that small town in third division. So it'll be a it'll be a cracking game. But yeah, they always get good crowds when they're doing well. Yeah, they do. Amy, do you have a pick? Um, I think I like City because I think that I think Arteta might might rotate his squad maybe more than Pep. I mean, don't they? Arsenal's great; they've looked unbelievable in, in the Prem, but they don't have as much depth as as City. So um, I like I like City in that game. I think. And even if Pep does rotate, it's still one of the deepest yeah, squads in the league, right? So it's the deepest squad in the league. So yeah. Jimmy, which game am I going to pick? Whatever you want. Any bet you like. My bet, I'm going to take Rex on the beach Sheffield United. I think there's so much hype around that club right now. Mm-hmm. I like that. Paul Mullen, right? Super yeah. Fun. Yeah. I, th- I don't know. There's something I fancy it. Well, and Rex the other one would maybe be a Blackpool beaten Southampton. Are you yeah. doing calculations? What are you writing down? Hmm. What's that? What are you writing down? No, I'm just looking at the all the all the games. <laughs> He's practicing his autograph. I go through carry it. The four, <laughs> carry the four. Carry the four. <laughs> three, seven, nine. <laughs> Rexham's at plus three forty. Um, the Blades are at minus one twenty-one in that one, by the way. And Brighton Liverpool um, is even. Plus, Saints. Saints. What, what's the numbers in Saints? Uh, yeah. Where are we here? Let me have a look here. Where's Southampton? Oh, yeah, Black- okay, so Southampton's at minus 200. Yeah. Blackpool plus 550. There's value there. That's mm. good value because Southampton could yeah. really do without this, to be honest. Yeah, 100%. Ooh, that's yeah, an eyebrow on that one. You know what, though? I spoke to uh, Lee Ryder. He's, he's a, the chief writer at the Newcastle Chronicle yesterday, and I asked him, um, like, would most fans prefer a trophy this year, even a League Cup or top four? 
And he said yeah. that he's pretty sure most fans at this point want a trophy. It's been it's been that long. It's been well, I think 1955 was the last major trophy I think Newcastle got. And because they're so far ahead of the curve and in, in their whole plan, um, yeah. he said, get that trophy under your belt. And then mm. they'll worry about the, the top four, which surprised me somewhat. I like it's, that. It's far more romantic, right? It's a milestone. Fourth place. It's a milestone, mm. Sherms. Is it a milestone? Yeah, it's it's seen as a milestone of yeah. the growth potential. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like when City first won the FA Cup, I think it was before they won anything else and the new era, right? They got the under they, they felt they were winners and they they built next year. I think they won the Prem the next year. Um Brighton and Liverpool both at what a plus one fifty five. Yeah. Which is interesting. Shows how far Brian's come. If you take uh, but Liverpool's on the road, take Liverpool and the over two and a half, you can get a plus 260. some point, they've got to turn it around. But I don't know, Brian's really good right now, but perhaps the Casado nonsense uh, might derail them. Wasn't it uh, the Liverpool game at Brighton when Klopp said it was the worst performance ever he's ever seen? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was. Well, yeah. I would expect better from them this time around. Mm-hmm, for sure. All right, well, there's our bets. 30 picks, it's 30 All right, Amy, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and hopefully we haven't lost too many listeners, or you guys haven't lost too many listeners for all the vegan talk. Maybe we've got a new, a new uh, we were hitting a new portion of the fan base. That's right. A vegan fan base. A new tranche, like we would yeah. say in French. I'm yeah. going for a bacon and egg sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> with, with your green smoothie. <laughs> Spook some a cheese on top. yourself. Mm, delicious. <laughs> All right, we're back on uh, Sunday night, I suppose, right? Longer? That's right. More Let's Will Miguel and talk about City Arsenal and the other big matchups this weekend. I hope you enjoyed that. Keep buying newspapers and cheers for listening. Bye. Join the conversation on Twitter. Help us fill Wonger's mail sack at footy underscore prime. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.